Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Euro 2020 is now in the rearview mirror, but the smoke it's left behind will billow long into the weeks ahead. For many reasons, it was a tournament to remember, and for some, a tournament to forget. But the team of the tournament is out, and three England players make the 11, along with five Italians. We'll discuss who was included in that shortlist, as well as who may have been unlucky to miss out. Plus, in the wake of Sunday's final defeat on penalties, three England players were subject to vile, racist abuse. One of those was Marcus Rashford, a man who's done so much for communities around the nation... Even his mural in Manchester was vandalised. But once again, love has conquered hate in the city as hundreds of people have shown their solidarity with the Manchester United man who may miss the start of the season with injury. We'll discuss all of the fallout there, as well as the latest Premier League transfer gossip with Jack Grealish once again heavily linked with a move to Manchester City and a big name potentially departing the Etihad too. All that to come here on Football Social Daily, the podcast keeping you across the biggest talking points from the English top flight. If you're new around here, then welcome to the show. If you like what you hear, why not hit subscribe? We'd really appreciate that. And that way you'll never miss an episode of the podcast again either. A scaled back schedule for us here at Football Social Daily for the time being as we count down the weeks until the new Premier League campaign begins. And when it does start, we'll have a brand new podcast for you every single day of the season, packed with the latest news and views with match previews and match reviews too. I'm Niall, welcome along to the show. And with me today, we've got Marley Anderson. Morning, Marley. Morning, boys. How are we doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm very well. And we've also got Ian Brannan. How are you, Ian? Yeah, good. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks. Obviously, with it being pre-season, and I suppose now that the Euros has finished, there is a little bit of breathing space. It's uh, full, what's the word? Uh, hand on the throttle? Um, speedway mode, basically, is what yeah. I'm trying to say, is what you're in at the moment. What's the, what's the term for it? Is it just... Oh, flat out, wind it on, uh, maximum <laughs> revs. No, give us some speedway yeah. jargon. So, I love yeah, it. <laughs> well, yeah, speedway is on. It's uh, yeah. That, that I mean, that obviously we're a part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, uh, particularly No Breaks, No Fear, which is the official British Speedway podcast. There's loads to listen to there. Um, British Under Twenty One final this week. Got a big preview of that. It's uh, yeah, it's going good. It's going good. And uh, of course, restrictions easing is a, a big thing for speedway because there've been some places have been restricted to like you know a few hundred allowed in uh, in some places but different at every at every track but uh, the 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 message is um find your local speedway track go to it enjoy uh, there's one probably near you uh look it up there's certainly one in manchester if you're in manchester you've got the best one in probably one of the best ones in the world (laughs) well if you are a speedway fan it's particularly a british speedway fan then do get onto the sports social podcast network and search for no breaks no fear it is the official podcast for british speedway presented by our very own ian loads of other content on the network as well it's one of the uk's only dedicated sport podcast networks so if you're looking for something a little bit different away from football or even football related just slightly different to football social daily get onto the 
network. It's podcast.sport-social.co.uk. You can find loads of great shows on there. Right then, time to talk about football and Euro 2020 is obviously finished, culminating in the final at Wembley on Sunday in which England were beaten on penalties by Italy. It was 1-1 after extra time, but it went to the heartbreak of a penalty shootout. Where have we heard that before when it comes to the three Lions? However, now that everything's been said and done, the Euro 2020 team of the tournament has been announced by UEFA. Five Italians, three English players in the side, complemented by a Dane, a Spaniard and a Belgian. I'll go through the full team now. It's Donnarumma in goal. The defence is Walker, Maguire, Bonucci and Spinazzola. Hoybier, Jorginho and Pedri, the midfielders. And Sterling, Lukaku and Chiesa, the forward players. So I guess the standout there, Marley, is that there's no Cristiano Ronaldo, no Paul Pogba, no Patrick Schick. And no Luke Shaw either. Some names who some people are saying were quite unlucky to miss out. Would you side with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd definitely be annoyed if I was Patrick Schick. Um, scored, you know, the goal from 50 yards. I think he ended up with five for the entire competition. The same as Ronaldo um, in a poorer team. And yeah, overlooked. But it's probably not, a, not that big a surprise with, you know, because he's not as big a name but as, as Lukaku, for example. But... I definitely don't think Lukaku did any more than Schick did, um, especially as Belgium, to put it brutally, underachieved. They should have been, you know, they should have been in the final. Really, they they they'd still fancy themselves to beat Italy most times. Um, didn't get it done, and you know we've seen we've seen um, you know players get into that team without doing much in the competition. Like Pedri, for example, he was he was great, but Spain didn't do much, and I just thought. You know there were there were other players in there that were probably more worth it. I thought Pogba was fantastic, even though France didn't go that far. I thought Pogba was was fantastic all competition. So yeah, you'd be you'd be annoyed, but Schick was the one for me where I thought, what else could that guy have done? He could realistically, he's not going to carry Czech Republic to the final or the semi final. Um, he got them as far as he possibly could. Um, scored five goals. One of them was probably the best goal in well, one of the best goals in in European Championship history with the. Uh, the goal against Scotland, um, and yeah, so I'd be a bit annoyed if I was him, but also not not the end of the world because his, his transfer value has probably gone up a little mm. bit off the back of it. So fair play. Obviously, Luke Shaw will be the one that England fans would look at Ian and say he's quite unlucky to miss out, but it's almost unfortunate for him that he's in the same position as Spinazzola, the Italian who obviously ruptured his Achilles after the quarter final uh, and didn't play in the semi or the final, but he was probably the standout Italian player in that first half of the tournament. So, I mean, Luke Shaw, many people are thinking that he's unlucky that he wasn't included. He was almost an ever-present for Gareth Southgate throughout the tournament and scored a goal in the final. Yeah, and <clears throat> obviously there's there's a lot goes on in the tournament across the, the whole four weeks or whatever, and there's quite a lot to keep a track of it, especially in that earlier part of the, the contest where maybe our eyes are, are more on the, the teams in our group rather than what's going on elsewhere. So probably we didn't maybe pay as much attention to players like Spinozola as, as we should have done and as you say he was injured and and that um, ended it for him and Luke Shaw though was fantastic um, I, I wonder uh, how Jose Mourinho is feeling because he's spent uh, the last year or two just trolling him hasn't he and uh, and whatever and especially that that goal he scored in Jose Mourinho's new home stadium uh, must have been a real reminder for for Jose of, uh, of 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 Luke Shaw leaving his calling card there um there seems to be a few weird omissions though doesn't there as well i mean Shaw is one he was fantastic for us england and italy were the two best teams left in the competition when you look at these stats as you know occasionally I peer into those and uh, uh, and looking at them you know England and Italy were the best two teams probably apart from Portugal who uh, had quite a few other representatives involved in when you look at the who came out top of their their um, niche of, of the game if you like but one glaring omission is Cristiano Ronaldo I mean, you know, he yes, Portugal went out fairly early doors as things go, but he was joint top scorer with with Schick, who we've already mentioned. Um, he was best for goals per ninety, expected goals, top penalty scorer, um, and and all that kind of stuff. So you know, really statistically speaking, um, you know, there's there's not many players who had a better tournament than than Cristiano Ronaldo, albeit um, over fewer games, I suppose. 
Um, the other one, of course, is uh, Calvin Phillips. You know, I, I also run the, <laughs> I just knew I, you were going to put Calvin, Calvin Phillips, Phillips Appreciation there. Society, and uh, murals. He wasn't are going good up. enough to get in the team of the tournament. Few though, members in the last couple of weeks. Right. Calvin Phillips um, won the most tackles in any single game of the whole tournament. Um, I think he's England's top tackler since goodness knows when. I think 1996 uh, or before that. Um, he completed the most pressures, you know, hassling people. Um, Calvin Phillips was top there, and, um, and 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 him along with uh, with with Declan Rice, I think, um, making interceptions as well. Between the two of them, I think as as a as a two combined, surely they were the the hottest two uh, defensive midfield partnership in in the whole tournament. And you'd think that one of them would get in. Uh, in, in all of that, but um, no. I mean, but the stats are there. Also, Jack Grealish comes up on the stats as well. I think he comes up as a super sub, like the best uh, <laughs> sort of last last throw of the dice kind of player. But obviously, he didn't he didn't do a, a massive amount. I know we're going to talk about him a little bit more in a bit. But yeah, I, 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 you, you do wonder that how they've come to this. Not not just you know Calvin Phillips, but there's there's other players as well that have missed out, and you do question the. Fabio Capello, David Moyes algorithm that they've uh, implemented here to decide their favourites. <laughs> yeah, Fabio Capello and David Moyes, part of the panel um, which chose this uh, group of 11 players for the team of the tournament. I understand what you're saying about Grealish and we'll come on to Grealish because there's transfer news linking him to City again. We'll talk about that later on in the show, but I don't think he played enough, did he, Jack Grealish? Coming off the bench, I think it's hard to kind of pick a team of the tournament with a player who mainly featured off the bench. I mean, you like your stats, Ian, and I think the glaring stat for me is that five Premier League players are in the Euro 2020 team of the tournament. So that says a lot about the standard of the Premier League at the moment and how it's sort of recognised around Europe. I think so. I think, you know, in years gone by, the label of the the, the best league in the world has, has been put on the Premier League and Probably sometimes you'd be looking at Syria or uh, or La Liga or or even you know the Bundesliga and saying really you know when when you've got Germany the world champions or you've got Argentina being world champions or or whatever you'd think well you know the best players are not playing in this country so how's that the case but I think now and 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 you look further afield as well with what's been going on in in um, the Copper America too there's there's a few players that are involved in the Premier League that have been involved with success there so yeah it's uh, it, you know it, football might not have come home in the in the literal sense of uh, bringing a trophy home but i think the the english league the english game has reflected well on it because we have got some some decent stars and some new stars as well you know players that maybe were under the radar a little bit more of uh, have come to the fore and and will have a a different time going forward and you know this is uh, I, I, th- I think people get very excited about the euros in terms of we always think we're going to win everything but this is not the end of the line for this England team. That's the thing. Sometimes you think, well, this was it. This was the golden generation and we've bust the flush and we're out and that's it now. Whereas this is like a bonus, in a, I think. you know, I think the real focus has got to be on the World Cup and these players are all still going to be together, I think, um, barring some kind of disaster. And, uh, you know, it's exciting for the World Cup because I think they've got that experience now of getting to the final. They know they can do it. And, uh, yeah, onwards and upwards. It's not a disaster. Five Premier League players... Uh five Serie A players uh, Donnarumma is on his way to PSG so he'll soon be playing in France but those Serie A players Donnarumma Bonucci Spinazzola Lukaku and Chiesa uh, of the five Premier League players who's been the standout for you Walker Maguire and Sterling are the three England players in that Euro 2020 team of the tournament my choice would be Harry Maguire I thought he looked absolutely immense throughout the whole tournament scored a header um, you know, he, he just looked determined and up for it and, and he looked unfazed completely having come into the tournament uh, a little bit late due to that recovery from an ankle injury, which ruled him out at the end of the Manchester United season. So I, I thought for me, out of the England players in that team of the tournament, um, Maguire was the most accomplished. But obviously Sterling's done brilliant things and Walker's been excellent too. Yeah, I think um, I'd agree with what you said there. I think the, the circumstances of Maguire's inclusion in the squad and the impact he then had when he came in and displaced Mings, who'd, who'd not really done anything wrong, to be fair to Mings. You know, I'm not his, not his biggest fan in, in terms of his ability, but he's uh, he didn't do much wrong. And then he Maguire came back, which is obviously always going to be the case. Um, 
But yeah, Maguire was was superb um, from from the first minute. Really, the only thing I can ever think of him doing wrong is just getting a bit nervous with that back pass in the final when he uh, slotted it out for a corner. But then nothing came of it, so you know it wasn't a, it wasn't really an issue. But of the three, I'd probably plump for for Sterling just because of the the poor, relatively poor season he had. Um, a lot of sort of speculation was was um, made over his his future and you know does he I think was was he asked in one of the warm up games have you warranted your place in the team or was it Croatia I think it was wasn't it said have you warranted your place in the team now which I just thought for a guy who's like one of the captains of the squad sixty one caps you know just scored the winner just in scored that a game goal. Well. yeah yeah uh, I just thought that was really cheeky of the um, of the reporter and she probably I think it was a was it ITV the the girl on ITV BBC. or was it BBC um. Yeah. yeah, she probably regretted it as soon as she said it. To be fair, but yeah, um, yeah, his his impact was was in every game, um, which is what impressed me. I, I thought, you know, we seen like Saka have a good game and then have a quiet game when he got his second start, for example, in the in the tournament, and that happens. But with Sterling, he was a constant threat. I thought, um, and you know, got he's got the goals to back it up. Um, was unlucky in the in the final. Um, I don't think that system suits the. The attacking talent that England have, um, it's more of a safety first thing, and it doesn't quite get the best out of the attacking guys you've got on the pitch with Sterling and and Saka as it was in the final. But um, yeah, I thought his his overall impact really silenced a lot of doubters and um, you know put a lot of people to bed and reminded him, uh, reminded everyone of what a good season, well, what a good player he is, and I think it'll set him up to have a good season um, in the in the upcoming season because he had a, he had a quiet one. Last year, and I just think he's he's reignited that hunger now. Um, there's been a bit of speculation over his future and stuff as well, but I don't think he'll he's in any danger of leaving. I think City's the best place for him, um, and he's the best thing for City. I think as well, like a fully refreshed, re- refocused, dangerous Raheem Sterling is is something that no. Premier League defender wants to face. Absolutely. A brilliant tournament for Raheem Sterling and rightly included in the Euro 2020 team of the tournament. Marcus Rashford didn't get much game time on the pitch for England. That's because he's been carrying a bit of an injury. He needs a shoulder operation and could miss the first two months of the season. Also, he was subjected to some rather unsavoury racist abuse after missing a penalty for England in that final. There's been lots of talk about Marcus Rashford and we'll be talking about him too next on Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall, Ian and Marley alongside me. Time to talk Marcus Rashford, who has certainly been in the news for a number of reasons over the last 48 to 72 hours or so. Let's start with the most recent update regarding Rashford, and that's that he needs a shoulder operation and could miss the first two months of the season. We've known for a while, Ian, that Marcus Rashford hasn't been operating at full capacity in terms of his fitness, yet he's put his team before almost his own physical health, if that makes sense. What does that tell you about him as a person? We know a lot about him off the field, which we'll come on to, and and his mentality and how he feels about other people and helping other people. But in terms of putting other people before him we've seen him almost do that as well some people would call it selfish that he went into the Euros injured when he needed an operation but um, would you go along with that would you think that's a fair assessment uh, well I think that if if you're selected um, and otherwise you're you're fit and the, the people at England um, who obviously do a lot of fitness tests and, and so on with all the the players think that you're fit and you're, you're chosen to to be part of this squad um, they think you can do it. You think you can do it. Then um, I, I don't think you're going to need a, a second invite from a you know a player if if they they feel they're up to it um, to to go and 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 try it out and have a go. Um, I think if they'd left him behind um, without really explaining the injury and to say that it was a an operation that he needed, people will say, well, why why are we leaving him behind if England had a lost uh, or couldn't score some goals or Harry Kane got injured and we didn't have another striker and all this kind of stuff then Gareth Southgate would probably have been in a position where you know he's got to explain a, a situation of we haven't taken a, a player because of a shoulder injury for a game of football and I don't know if I I just think though if you're if you are an athlete 
and you're chosen and you feel you can do it and you can physically get there. And I think some players, even if they had a broken ankle, they would probably still be on that bus, even if they were chosen, you know? Um, It's it's not something that comes around very often. I don't think he's selfish for taking the place, even though he knew he needed an operation. It wasn't really something that really affected his game because he came on and played and it wasn't the reason he missed a penalty or anything like that. Um, And... You know, he was used sparingly. Um, it's, it's one of those underlying issues, which obviously, yeah, your shoulder you don't use a great deal when you're playing football. Obviously, in the upper body sort of challenges. Not unless you're Maradona. <laughs> no, um, I certainly think that it's probably not as serious as some people think. But it, there's discomfort there, and he probably needs an operation. And you know, it, I think that, like you say, he wouldn't have played if it would have meant that it would have adversely affected the team. So. As for those people calling him selfish, I don't think that's a fair thing to level at Marcus Rashford. But there are people out there that are saying that. The fact is that if this operation does happen soon, which is looking likely, Marley, Rashford is going to miss the first couple of months of the Premier League season whilst he rests and recovers. How do you think United will deal with that? They've obviously got plenty of options, the likes of Greenwood and Cavani and now Sancho, who's set to be unveiled very, very soon by Manchester United. Do you think they'll be fine without him? Because he is a key component to them going forward and Solskjaer really likes Marcus Rashford. Uh, They should be. Um, He's obviously a loss, but, you know, this is definitely the right decision. I thought um, if you're being sort of objective, you you probably shouldn't have went to the Euros at all. Um, But, he did, and now you've you know you've got to you've got to deal with that. So I think um, I remember you talked after the, after the Europa League final, and he was saying like um, I'm not sort of hundred percent, but I'm all right. I'll you know dig in for the team type of thing. Um, and you knew then that like you know when when Greenwood pulled out the um, the England squad, I thought Rashford might follow him, but I also thought that like with with them both being at Man United, I, I didn't I couldn't see them both doing it. Even though it was the right decision to probably like have Rashford have that um, operation a couple of months ago, as soon as the final whistle went in the Europa League final, um, get him on a plane to wherever and have him have him operated on ready for the start of the season. But obviously he's not that type of player. He's played through the pain all all season or halfway through the season whenever he picked this shoulder injury up. Um, so he thought, well, what's six more games? So it's not. It's what it was sort of his decision, but it was for me. Look, hindsight was, a, was the wrong decision. He should have he should have went and had the thing and been fully firing for Man United's first game of the season. But that's the type of person he is. So, um, as as opposed to when he has it now, in in terms of that, I think he, you know, Man United will will miss him. But also they're getting the same. They're getting players back now. I think Martial's fully fit for the start of the season. Um, Greenwood should be as well. Cavani. Um, Cavani will be. They've got Lingard coming back as well. He was coming off the best six months of his career, probably. And then you got Sancho coming in, and Daniel James is there as well. And Van der Beek might be fit um, by the by the start of the season. So you got plenty of of players there. And if you're going to lose a player, the start of the season is probably the best to lose two months because you don't want it over Christmas. You don't want it going into the running. You don't want it going in the the quarters of the the last sixteen of the Champions League, for example. So. If you're going to lose him, you know, lose him when you've got everyone else coming back. So I think this is a, a smart decision. And if everyone else can hit the ground running, then you won't miss his, uh, his impact quite as much. Part of the reason for the delay as well, it seems, is that the, the surgeon that um, they want to do the operation isn't available um too so i think that's also affected the decision not entirely because i think if they'd have pulled him out of the euros then obviously it could have been done over the last month but now the surgeon is away and uh, isn't available until the end of the month so that's that's why it's going to go on his recovery is going to take a little bit longer is because the the actual operation is not going to happen until just before the start of the season Marley used the words making an impact and that is a great description for Marcus Rashford in terms of his off the field exploits over the last 12 months or so. He's been a role model. He's campaigned to feed children in this country um, who weren't otherwise being fed by the powers that be and he's won a lot of fans, even those people that don't particularly like football, know Marcus Rashford and the work he's done in the UK off the field. 
There was a mural in Withington, which is a district of Manchester, which was painted of Marcus Rashford on the side of a cafe. And after he missed his penalty against Italy in the Euro 2020 final, someone mindlessly felt it would be a good idea to deface that mural. Since then, the artist, um, Axe P19, who uh, painted the mural initially, has gone back to the mural and fixed it up, basically. He's resprayed it and uh, got rid of all the damage and the graffiti that was on there. And lots of other people have also visited the mural and posted messages of love and support on love hearts, post-it notes, cards, you name it. It is absolutely awash now with messages of love and support for Marcus Rashford. After what he's done, Ian, um, for the country off the field, and after what we saw in terms of the abuse he received post-match on Sunday, how nice is that to see that once again in the city of Manchester, people have collaborated and come from all corners of the country. There are people from as far as Birmingham and, and, and even further afield driving up to the mural yesterday and the day before to post their messages of support how nice to see is that love has conquered hate once again because everyone was rightly outraged by the abuse that Sancho, Saka and Rashford suffered after the final. Well it shows that there is hope doesn't it it shows that there is hope and there are more decent people in the world than there are idiots Um, unfortunately and it's not something that's just confined to Britain Um, I've been speaking to some friends who uh, are in other countries around Europe and and it's something that happens in other nations as well unfortunately for example Italy or Spain you know they still have their element of boneheads who come out when football tournaments turn up so it's not something that's unique it's not just a British thing but it shows why the players are right to continue doing their gesture that they do, the kneeling thing, because it shows that there is a problem. And this problem is something that needs addressing still, even now. It's not something that's going to go away overnight, unfortunately, but it shows why there is a need still to make this uh, stand, um, because we've seen it uh, uh, before as with players who are in such high esteem as that, who all that they've done, and let alone what some other sections of our society must have to put up with on a daily basis. So, um, it, you know, it is it is great that people have come out and done this. I just hope that the people who have gone and done that haven't done it just for Instagram likes, and actually they've done it with the right reasons and the right intentions, um, and, and not just done it for, for show because it's a thing. Um, but it, it is nice to see that, that, as you say, lovers conquered hate and, and the decent people have, have come to the surface once again. I said the other day, Marley, that that penalty won't define Marcus Rashford. His legacy will be remembered for more than hitting the post in the final uh, of the Euros. I think we've seen that, haven't we, with the sort of the public outcry and the public support of Marcus Rashford, whether that be on social media after what happened on Sunday or posting, um, you know, a, a love heart on the mural. I mean, there's there's so much to be positive about from what we have seen amongst all the negativity. Yeah, there is. Um, and it was... It, when this this mural got sort of defaced originally, you, you knew that the people of Manchester were going to turn it round and, and make it right, you know, whether it was um, through, you know posters or messages or postcards or whatever it was be, would be you know they've they've backed Marcus Rashford for you know years now um and the bond between sort of Rashford and and his Manchester people like he's 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 a hero here and he's a hero in, a hero in the UK as well I think um with with what he's done in the last 18 months or two years because I mean you mentioned it before it you know it, the the words you said there he's been trying to feed kids and it's just it's depressing to even say that those words you know like but that that's his legacy like you sort of alluded to he's he's probably he will obviously be remembered as a footballer but he remembered as as the guy who did this almost like along to uh, alongside it sort of thing so um it was nice to see you know the people of withington come out and there was there was reports of people traveling from like birmingham and and coventry and things like that to come and um, put their little messages of support and stuff on this wall, and now it now just looks like a big wall of love rather than a wall of uh, of, of artistry, which has been, you know, defaced by some mindless idiots. You know, so 
it's um it was nice to see the the reaction of of Manchester because obviously we now have lived in Manchester for six years now and the well seven years and the the people have had to react to a lot of things you know we're going back to 2017 and and stuff like that as well you know the reaction of the city is always stronger than um than what you think and the, the sort of pull of the people together um when they sort of see some something coming at them or something attacking one of their own is is something like I've never lived anywhere like that before where it's it's um the the sort of outcry is is way and the togetherness that it that it, that it shows is is massive um and we've seen that again with you know the a couple of words you know sprayed on on that thing were instantly covered up by what is now probably hundreds of, of postcards and messages and pieces of paper and poems and all that kind of stuff and drawings and I just think it's brilliant yeah it is absolutely brilliant and it actually leads us to a wider debate and we normally uh, do discuss these things on football social daily if this is the first time you've ever listened to the podcast we do obviously mainly focus on the on-field action and transfer news and all the rest of it but these are important issues that surround our game and we're not going to shy away from that here on this podcast they are definitely worth talking about and this is something that happened yesterday regarding Tyro Mings Ian the England defender which I thought was definitely worth bringing up on the podcast he's criticized the home secretary Pretty Patel there was a bit of an exchange obviously the England players that were racially abused after the final was widely condemned by a multitude of people, not just in football, but also politicians and high profile figures. Pretty Patel, who's the Home Secretary of the United Kingdom, tweeted this. I'm disgusted that England players who have given so much for our country this summer have been subject to vile racist abuse on social media. It has no place in our country and I back the police to hold those responsible accountable. Tyrone Mings quote tweeted that and said... You don't get to stoke the fire at the beginning of the tournament by labelling our anti-racism message as gesture politics and then pretend to be disgusted when the very thing we're campaigning against happens. That's got 177,500 retweets and nearly 550,000 likes. It certainly struck a chord with plenty of people, that tweet. Before we get into the details of this and regardless of who's right and who's wrong and who we side with and who we don't how do you feel Ian about people who tell players just to stick to football because we've seen that a few times from politicians after Marcus Rashford missed his penalty people were tweeting him saying oh you should stick to football and not to politics is that an insult to the intelligence of footballers because you wouldn't tell a taxi driver stick to driving taxis you've got no place talking about politics. So why is it okay to say it to a footballer? Well, footballers are, you know, they they, they have a, a huge influence on a lot of people and different footballers probably relate to different sections of the country, but also different sections of society. Um, particularly, um, you know, you you gravitate to the the footballers I suppose from your part of the country or your culture and if you've got something shared in that and Tyrone Mings is within well within his rights to uh, put pretty Patel in her place because she has um belittled the opinion of footballers in the past few weeks um and then oh all of a sudden the football team are doing well and she's there posing on a social media with really um, I don't know, overly glossy photos of herself in an England uh, shirt cheering them on. And it's just like, you know, it's... So fake, isn't it? Yeah, if that is all you've got to try and show that you are in some way relevant and have a connection with the country that you um, claim to represent, you know, and, and at the same time, cheering on some of the very people that you want to kick out of the country... You can't have your, you can't have it both ways up, love. You know that's the that's the bottom line of it. And yeah, footballers can have an opinion. They're not thick, all of them. <laughs> I don't wanna, I don't want to brand yeah. any footballer as thick. But you know, some, some of them. This is the thing. Ty- Tyrone Mings yeah. is he's well educated. Yeah. Let's just say that, and he, he's considered with what he says. And I think it's only fair that he's allowed to kind of come out and use his voice because. 
I mean, I am so sick and tired of people telling footballers they're not allowed to have an opinion on stuff. Why not? They're, they're just humans like the rest of us. I mean, you, you know, just because it doesn't suit you. Basically, Marcus Rashford and Tyrone Mings, these people are embarrassing the politicians and the politicians don't like it. And they're coming out and saying, you stick to your job and I'll stick to mine. Well, what sort of a society is that where people aren't allowed to voice their opinion on something which affects them directly? I think the politicians are scared of the footballers. I don't know if you saw I that. I agree. You saw that um, thing the other week where uh, Dominic Cummings was was in that cabinet um, you know, debriefing thing that that he did, where he was talking all about things that happened a year or so ago, and and how he advised Boris not to take on Marcus Rashford to to just you know immediately just approve whatever it was, and and what did Boris do? No, he dug his heels in. What happened in the end? Marcus Rashford won because Marcus Rashford is a spokesman for the people. He's got a lot of support with him um, from all sections of society, but he knows what it's like because yes. You know, these footballers are all multimillionaires. They've got more money than you or I could ever dream of having. Um, but it's not all about money. I think after a point, you, you get a certain amount of money and it becomes about changing uh, things for the better um, within your what's in your control and, and using that money maybe to, to make things better. These footballers contribute a huge amount of money to charity, most of them. The, the players on uh, Sunday night, you know, they haven't actually made a great deal of money out of playing this tournament. They've donated their winnings, if you will, to NHS charities. That's not really been banded around, you know, as much as it probably should have been. You know, so they are contributing more than a lot of politicians are. And I think it, it angers it angers a lot of footballers because they are trying to do the right thing. They're always being told that they're being greedy, that they don't know what they're talking about, that they're uneducated. And yet these politicians who have the power to change stuff like that if they wanted to, do nothing. And they only do it when footballers get on their backs and tell them and shame them into it. And I think that is the the, the bottom line, that you've got, you've got people with power who won't use it. They'll use it to protect their interests, whereas footballers want to make a difference and they're told, uh, you know, uh, go kick a ball. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not on. I mean, I think, I wonder what your thoughts are, Marley. Do you think we're seeing more players use their voices for change than ever before? Like what Ian was saying, it feels like we've seen almost this uh, uh, willingness now from players to, to stand up for their communities and stand up for themselves. And whether that be via social media or even action that we don't see, players like Jordan Henderson, who have given money to charity and people like Jermaine Defoe, who obviously had quite a close relationship with that, uh, the young Sunderland fan who sadly died of, of cancer a few years ago. So we, we're seeing footballers show a human side, show an empathetic side, something which we haven't seen too often over the years. So do you think we are seeing more players use their voices for change than ever before? Yeah, I think the, the, way, the way things are now, I think with, with social media and stuff as well, you know, if you use it right, it can be used as, as a tool for good, you know. Um, the, the whole Rashford situation has sort of opened everyone's eyes to realise that how powerful footballers can be because if you can harness that support into something which is for for good you know for change then um that then that should be something that everyone should look at i mean not everyone's going to have the impact of marcus rashford but you can certainly um shine a light on things that are being ignored by um the people that shouldn't ignore them the government for example i think you know i've seen danger going into a bit too political um at, at times but the government have just like the the country's the country's knackered to be honest. Like they're making so much poor poor decisions everywhere because they're back in this this um well basically all stems from Brexit I suppose, but they're all they're all just making decisions that that benefit the the many uh, the few, whereas footballers come from the many and footballers don't come from elite backgrounds. It, this isn't tennis or golf where everybody's had to have money to get through you can you can make it from a from a working class background in football and that's why you're seeing people like Rashford whose mum worked two jobs and and relied on food banks at times and lived in a a house which is too small for for um her family and things like that and Sterling's mum coming over from Jamaica at, at you know when he was two or three years old and you know fighting to make ends meet and things like that when these players get the platform they 
they can get to call out um, the the people that made their, these decisions, then they're doing that, and that's you know like um, like Ian said, Dominic Cummins alluded to uh, you know don't take on footballers because they're too powerful. They have the, our government is um, and is is elitist, and footballers are not. They're they're from the other end. Like our politicians that are in charge can't reach the working class because everybody hates them and knows what knows that they're trying to make their life harder whereas footballers are the exact antidote to that and there's way more working class people in this country than um the the middle and the upper class so when it goes to a vote and it goes to um making an impact you know it's easy to stand uh, it's easy for someone like Marcus Rashford to get a lot of people on his side very very quickly and we've seen that with the food um the food thing it was a, a couple of weeks from being thrown out of um, government and not talked about um, to to um, a complete embarrassing situation where he, um, the Prime Minister had to overturn it because the support was simply too big. Um, and long way that continues, to be honest, because, you know, we, this government isn't going anywhere anytime soon, so we do need more things like that. We, we need more uh, causes to, to sort of fight for, and, and that's what the the situation we're in, and that's the... The, the role models that um, that we can have with, with social media, with footballers who've, who've got their head switched on a little bit. I think, as, as Marley mentions there, and, and pretty much hit the nail on the head, that the difference is with footballers and why politicians are scared of them, I think, is that politicians have the power because they are in, you know, if they get together, they can change laws over, you know, a fairly short period of time if they wanted to. Um, they have money. Uh, a lot of them, it's a well-paid job, but they usually uh, are involved in various businesses and they have huge contacts and huge resources behind them. And in some cases, uh, some quite rich people that, that they know as well. And of course, they're in touch with the elite. They're classed as the elite because of all of that sum together. You know, they've got the money, they've got the contacts, they're in the seat of government and therefore they are the elite and the part of the fabric of the aristocracy almost as well. And for for the mo- most part of everyday working people across the country the the 95% of of britain who are nowhere near that whose voice never gets heard because they don't have the money they don't have the power uh, or the contacts the, the the dangerous thing for politicians is that footballers actually cross that divide they are working class people with a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of contacts and a huge following now on social media as well. And they can really kick up a stink very, very quickly indeed and really play the politicians at their own game. And it's a game that they will always lose the politicians because there's that they know that they're in the wrong quite often. And I think that's, that's the power that the footballer has. They're working class people who actually have got the power to play the, play the politicians at their own game on behalf of the other people as well that they, they are looking after. It's brilliant to see the outpouring of support for Marcus Rashford, Jadon Sancho and Bakayo Saka after what happened in the Euro 2020 final on Sunday. Whatever happened at Wembley on that night won't define them, I'm sure. They've got plenty of career ahead of them and um, what they do off the field, I think, leaves as much of a legacy as what they do on it. Tyra Mings as well speaking out, voicing his opinion. And one thing I didn't want to avoid um, during this podcast, being a Portsmouth fan, I just want to say I'm absolutely disgusted at the academy players uh, for my club who have allegedly been using racially abusive language in a Snapchat group that they've got together. The club has launched a full investigation and I totally condemn the language they've used and I'm horrified that anyone associated with my football club would feel that that was appropriate language and I hope that they're dealt with accordingly and never play for my team again whether that's academy or elsewhere um we're going to move on now and talk about transfers we'll do it next on football social daily welcome back to the podcast football social daily from sports social hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode of the podcast again just three days a week at the moment monday wednesdays and fridays but when the season starts again which is only a matter of weeks away now we'll be back to seven days a week keeping you up to date with all the latest premier league news and views including match previews and match reports on every top flight game throughout the season but we're going to talk about transfers now because obviously the transfer window is open players will be going on a little bit of a break those ones that 
that were involved in the England squad. One of those was Jack Grealish, but the rumours will begin to go into overdrive yet again. Grealish to City. It's a rumour which we've heard before and spoken about before on the podcast, but it seems to have ramped up once again. Manchester City are no doubt interested in the Aston Villa midfielder. Has his value increased during the Euros, do you think? Marley claims of a ninety-five million pound deal in some papers over the last twenty-four hours or so. Um, I'm a bit reluctant to talk about uh, Grealish with Villa because every time we write something on that on our socials, you get Villa fans screaming at us. Oh, you don't know what we're on about. We we're the richest team in the world. You know, everyone's scared of us. We don't have to sell our best players. Blah 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 blah. There's loads of bloody DMs in our inbox saying that we don't know anything we should get some which, Aston which, Villa which uh, might well be the case on. Marley but Aston Villa aren't as successful as Manchester City exactly. and Jack Grealish if he moves to City it's going to win a trophy far sooner than he would do if he went stayed at Aston Villa and I don't think that's a derogatory thing to say I think Villa can be the richest club on earth but they're not as attractive right now as Man City are yeah well that's don't 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 apply logic to this situation now because it's not uh, <laughs> you know what I mean it's like just let's just see what happens like it makes sense for him um to leave in my opinion I think they've they've signed you know um Buendia and, Buendia. and signing mm. a few other players and, and they're trying to sign World Prowse a couple of weeks ago and things like that so it would kind of suggest that they're planning for life without him I know Grealish can fit into that system as well but also, if you're Man City, I think there's room in that squad for him. I mean, Bernardo Silva might leave, for example. If if he leaves, then there's a space for for someone like Jack Grealish, and we know how much Grealish loves um, De Bruyne. He, he speaks about him, you know, glowingly, time after time, at least three or four times a season. So he's obviously interested in the move. I know he's he's committed to Aston Villa as well, and you know, it's a boyhood thing. It, there's there's a very very strong bond there, but you know. For for all parties, it it does make sense if they if they're willing to spend that kind of cash. Um, it seems like a shoe in of a of a deal. I can't really see it failing if I'm honest. But let's just we have to just wait and see what happens because you know people are like oh you know you know you don't you know support Villa and we don't have to sell and. You know all this, and I'm sick of it, to be honest. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> well, I'm convinced that Grealish is on his way to City. I've said it for months now. I can't see... Don't worry, I've I've, sh- I've saved the screenshots. They will be out if, if he does go. <laughs> I've convinced myself from, like, a couple of months ago that he's going to start the season wearing a Manchester City shirt. Obviously, um, £95 million would be the most that Man City have ever spent on a player, Ian, if that is to be the case, and they sign Grealish for that much. But there are also reports that Bernardo Silva is going to leave the Etihad Stadium in order to get Grealish in. Obviously, City fans would be disappointed by that. I'd be disappointed by that because I quite like Bernardo. I think he's been a great addition to the Premier League and Manchester City since he arrived there a few years ago. But if they can get £40 or £50 million for Bernardo Silva... I mean, that makes the Grealish deal look even sweeter, doesn't it? Around about £50 million for Grealish. So, I mean, how much better does that look if that is to be the case? As disappointing as it would be for them to lose Bernardo. No, I mean, they, they do have a, a lot of value in their in their squad, I suppose, if they want to um, make any money back. And, and that would make a, for a, a pretty sweet deal, you have to say, um, because I think a, a 50 a 50 or 60 million deal for Grealish would be laughed out of town, wouldn't it? Um, when you see what they've spent uh, over the, the other side of Manchester on uh, on Sancho and, and what have you. So I think really it needs to be a big price tag um, to justify, well, to, to really put Man City ahead of Man United in terms of the bragging rights, you know, when it comes to signing players and we've spent more than this and all that kind of stuff, because that's what fans partly care about I think sometimes um, but um, I think that Man City fans would be and uh, obviously we haven't got a, a Man City fan on this uh, show today to to represent it but I'm pretty sure that when um, we've, we've we've spoken uh, in the past with, with City fans uh, on this podcast that they quite like Bernardo Silva and um, I think they'd be pretty, pretty um, gutted to see him going to make way for Grealish my thing with Grealish is that and we've talked about it before, that yes, he's a very, very skillful player. But as we saw for England, that he, maybe he can be a little bit of a liability at times as well. And, you know, really for um, the way Man City play, maybe they'd want a, a player with a, a little bit more um, defensive 
attitude than than perhaps Grealish has got because that was obviously something that Gareth Southgate didn't trust him with in the matches where they wanted to protect the the lead that they got particularly against Denmark you know he stuck him on and then took him straight back off again after 20 minutes because it was a game that they needed to you know use some uh, a little bit of common sense and, and not do anything too uh, ridiculous and all that and maybe that is his chink in his armour perhaps and whilst he's a very skillful player undoubtedly going forward and, and an exciting player for the fans that uh, you know if, if you want somebody to grind a result out maybe he's not that player um, but uh, you know that's the only thing. If would he fit in perfectly to to the Man City lineup? I suspect he probably uh, would. But um, but yeah, I don't know. If you're if you're a City fan, would be would you be as excited um, as perhaps some of the fans across the country would be about Jack Grealish coming into that side? Well, if his defensive contributions are a concern, I'm sure Pep Guardiola's got it within him to coach that into him. We've seen Pep Guardiola coach many a player over the years, so I'm sure it's something he'll be able to apply to Jack Grealish's game if those concerns are there. Um, But certainly there is no questioning Manchester City's interest in Jack Grealish. They are keen on him, whether a deal will be brokered soon or not will remain to be seen. That's the Man City news to one side. What about Wolverhampton Wanderers? Because their keeper, Rui Patricio, has left for Roma to link up with Jose Mourinho. Ruben Neves, the midfield player, has been linked with Arsenal. Obviously, Diogo Jota left last summer. So did Matt Doherty, Marley. Do you think Wolves are at risk of losing more key players now that Nuno Espirito Santo has left the club? Uh, yeah, because for me, it, it sort of... Um... It's it sort of like signifies the end of a chapter in in um, in Wolves's sort of recent history. You know they they did very well with you know coming out of the Championship, finishing seventh back to back, and then last season obviously it slipped off a bit because of various reasons that we've been into before on the podcast, injuries and um, transfer windows not quite going well and things like that. So I think after three years in the Premier League, I think some of the best players are kind of like. You can't be blamed for thinking, is it now the perfect time to move on? I've given this club three years in the Premier League. We've done quite well, but also we're not really close to breaking into the top six. We're not a Leicester who are upsetting the apple cart all season. We're not having had a season quite like West Ham where did last year when they almost got into the Champions League and ended up in the Europa League. So um, I think, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be a little bit worried if I was a Wolves fan, to be honest, because I think... I think Neves is a better player than Wolves. I'm I'm sorry to to sort of put it that blankly, but I just think he he can do a job in a top four team or a top six team easily, um, because he's, he's he's a quality player, and I don't think Wolves are getting getting the best of him. I don't think he can. He's he's probably going to reach his potential there, um, and I think with with the new manager coming in, you know, he might do well. He might he might do well. Like there's nothing. Um, you know, I've got nothing against him or anything like that, but it's just it's it is the perfect time to say, okay, you know, we've had three great years together. If you're Ruben Neves or four, if you if you Neves, and you know, now it's time for me to go at, at 25, 26, whatever he is. He's still still very young, so maybe it's time for him to go to a top club now. But I think with Rui Patricio as well, you've seen it. You know, what 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 would you rather do? Scrap around in mid table with Wolves or go to Roma? And play in a beautiful city for a massive club with Jose Mourinho as manager, um, and be and be first team, you know, first choice goalkeeper there. So it's not really a, a decision where you're gonna you're gonna pull for Wolves in that uh, in that situation with Roma being in Europe and things like that. It was a simple decision there, um, and then obviously as well with Wolves when they lose players, they just ring up George Mendes and say, okay, who else have you got? Who can we have? And he goes, I've got a Portuguese goalkeeper at Olympiacos called Jose Sa. Do you want him? Yeah, all right then. And that's it's just that's that's the that's the conveyor belt the conveyor belt of Wolves. Like the, this this last week of this of these negotiations, uh, Mendes is the agent of Patricio, the agent of um, he, he works for Wolves. Is the agent of Jose Mourinho, so he's got all that move. Summed up, um, tied up because he's involved in all parts of the of the move, the buying club, the selling club, and the manager, who who's buying him, and then he's for the for the purchase of Jose Sar, he's Jose Sar's agent. He works for Wolves, and he's uh, and he's he's trying to get you know his his client a move. So 
but it's moved dead quickly and it's it was the same for Trinsau. They've just signed Francisco Trinsau from from Barcelona on loan for a year and he's his agent. And it's just like it's George Mendes FC, it's his little black book of players coming to coming to Wolves <laughs> and the conveyor belt never stops. If they lose one they'll get another and if they lose him they'll get another. So it's um it's a bit of a weird uh weird thing and he's he's also agent of Bruno Large as well, so he's He's, he's involved. He's got his fingers in all the pies there. So it's just yeah, yeah it's just Mendes FC. With that in mind, Ian, do you think players will start to see Wolves as a stepping stone club rather than one that can actually facilitate their dreams of playing at the top level for the biggest honours in the Premier League and in Europe? Because we've seen Diego Jota go to Liverpool. Marie Patricio swapped balls for Roma and I don't think any Wolves fans will begrudge what Marley said in terms of Roma being a bigger club. Um, do you think that there is a danger of players from overseas potentially seeing Wolverhampton Wanderers as just a, a pathway, a passageway to something bigger and better, if that's the right term? Yeah, but in a, in a different way because I think the way that the, the game's going to go over the next five or ten years um, is very much like... Um, you know, groups of, of clubs. Uh, uh, th- th- it is already happening, but we're going to see it more where <clears throat> I think um, you're going to have the same owner um, running a club in each in each of the major leagues. That's what's going to happen in future. So if you get in with Wolves, then, you know, like if you work for a radio station, if you work for a radio group, as, as we do, um, but if you want to move within that group, it's a lot easier once you're in that company to then go and work on a different on a different radio station if if they own it and and you know the boss and all that kind of stuff and you're pretty good and i think that's what's going to happen with football um you know uh over time wolves will have um closer deals with with other clubs you can have one owner who's owns say for example with obviously all the all the contacts with george mendez say for example roma ended up being owned by the same people as wolves the whole club then you could go work, uh, go and work before it is for a footballer. Go play for Wolves, knowing that you've then got the links to get to Roma. It's already happening with Leeds United. Um, uh, Autos trying, you know, there's there's rumours of them getting involved with uh, with Valencia, and they've signed a few players from Valencia already. That that you know he might then run a club there and also run another club in in Italy, and then you'll have the same owner running three clubs, and you can just shift your players around. It already happens, of course, with Man City, with with New York. Um, but I think that kind of thing's going to Watford uh, as well with with Udinese. Yeah, you know, when exactly. went relegated and they just loaned a couple of players like De La Feu to Udinese yeah. for a year and said, if we're back in the Premier League and come back in a year's time. Yeah, and I think that is exactly what's the way football is going to be going. So, um, stepping stone club, it depends how you look at it um, because they they are still a Premier League club. Um, part of a bigger project in, in the future that we're maybe not fully aware of yet. Um, possibly, and I think that's where the whole George Mendes thing, you know, comes in. And I think over time, next five or ten years, we'll start to see owners buying significant clubs up and um, shifting their assets around a lot more. I think is uh, is the way it's heading. No disrespect there to Wolverhampton Wanderers or their fans, by the way. I just think it's an interesting debate to be had because there are inevitably people that say Wolves are almost being used as a method to get uh, players to to a higher level, which. I can understand the argument, but also I'm not sure Wolves fans would be too happy about that. They'll yeah, want players to come in who actually want to it's, play. It's not. Them. It's not the bad. It's not the worst thing, though, is it? You know, not not every team can be the best team in the world. You know, not every team can be, you know, competing for titles week in week out. So if you if your club is a stepping stone, you are getting quality players for a certain amount of time, and if you can achieve while they're there, then you can keep them. Maybe you know, if if Wolves. You know, if Wolves had a, a sick team and got and got into the top four, they'd stay, or they'd be in more 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 of a position to stay. You know, but wait, see, see, it, yeah, it's all right if you're replacing those players with other good <laughs> players. Like we, yeah. we mentioned there with Mendes, yeah. you know, you can pick the phone up and say, "Well, I've got this one." And if if one good player moves on and another decent player comes in, then that's not a problem. The, the problem is when clubs sell all their good players and then the money just disappears. And you reinvest it in a player who's clearly not as good. Um, 
and and somebody's taking the cash or the money's going to pay you know a tax bill or, or whatever that's when you're in a in, a, in trouble but you know it's normal for players to move around every every few years i suppose um as long as you're replacing them with good ones i suppose it's like short term would you would you rather have um own, own a car outright that's quite reliable and, and decent and gets you there or do you want like you know a few ferraris and have them on short-term loans for a for a year or two <laughs> it's as long as you get another ferrari in it's all right but if you swap your ferrari for a for a you know a, a ford car then uh you know it's probably not quite as exciting is it we're all getting very philosophical here on football social daily so i think it's time we call it an end on today's podcast thanks ian thank you marley appreciate your time as ever don't forget to hit subscribe and that way you won't ever miss an episode of the podcast again as i said before three days a week right now but when the season starts you won't want to miss a show because we'll keep you right up to date with all the talking points even the ones you might have missed so make sure you hit subscribe or follow or whatever it may be however you listen to this podcast and don't forget also to check out the sports social podcast network if you fancy diving into something a little bit different whether that be wrestling or speedway or snooker or darts or anything like that you can check out the sports social podcast network just visit the website sport-social.co.uk hit the podcast tab and see what you can find there's loads of great shows there that you can get involved with too but that's it for today from football social daily and we'll catch you again in a couple of days Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.